Hello, welcome to the Club Soda podcast. This is Drew Yeager. Club Soda is all about helping you live well by being more mindful about drinking. So whether you want to change your drinking, choose better alcohol-free drinks, or connect with others to help you grow, we're here for it. And you can discover more at joinclubsoda.com. In my day-to-day work at Club Soda, I talk to a lot of people who, to be frank, have got themselves in a bit of a mess with drinking and are struggling in some kind of way. And I think that gives me a skewed perspective on alcohol. So one of the things that I'm interested in at the moment is what, big air quotes coming, normal drinking might look like. And it turns out there's actually surprisingly little research on that subject. So in today's episode of the Club Soda podcast, we're talking to Dr. Emma Davis. Dr. Emma Davis is a psychologist based at Oxford Brookes University, and she spent the past 10 years um, studying people's drinking, um, what it's like to drink too much, how it feels, and particularly the bit which I'm interested in, what normal drinking might feel like from the inside. And you know, whether you are somebody who is stopping drinking or cutting down, it's kind of useful to get that perspective, I think. And that's what we're doing in the Club Soda podcast today. So Emma, welcome to the Club Soda podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's brilliant that you're here. Um, For those people listening in who don't know you, could you start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in this subject of alcohol? Okay, yeah, so my name is Dr Emma Davis and currently I'm a senior lecturer in psychology at Oxford Brookes University and I've been conducting alcohol research for about 10 years now. Originally I was interested in why people do things that they don't intend to do mm-hmm. so, <laughs> and that's kind of in a broad sense. If we If we think about alcohol then um, many people can probably relate to the idea of having said, oh, I'll never drink again, or I'll just have the one or something like that. But the actual reality in terms of behaviour turns out to not quite match those intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was really interested in thinking about you know, what happens between making a decision and the outcome which you didn't intend. Um, mm-hmm. From a psychological perspective, that's really interesting. Um, and in terms of alcohol, I started out by looking at teenagers drinking so looking at uh, this kind of unplanned drinking behavior that teenagers uh-huh. engage in so they of, often young people might um you know have a sort of intention to maybe try a sip or, or have a few drinks at a party but it can quickly um get out of hand as i'm sure we can all relate to uh-huh. um but the additional riskiness for younger people is that because they generally haven't planned to drink in the first place or at least plan to drink as much as they do they often haven't made these sorts of contingency plans of things like how to get home or what to do if somebody's unwell or yeah and um, you know should I involve an adult at some point if what if something goes wrong you know all of those things that make a situation a bit more risky and uh-huh. um, that was what I started out doing but more recently I have joined the Global Drug Survey as the alcohol lead and have been involved in directing and shaping the alcohol questions of the survey. So uh-huh. I'm broadly interested in everyone's drinking in my research. And, um, and everyone's drinking worldwide as well. That's <laughs> super interesting. 
very broad. Yeah, very broad. But there's lots of really interesting things we can do when we look at comparing the respondents from different countries in the Global Drug Survey um, mm-hmm. in terms of their attitudes and behaviours around drinking. So that's kind of where I am now. I'm also interested in um, women's drinking, particularly mm-hmm. in middle age. I'm thinking about communicating kind of risk information about drinking in that age group too. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Uh, so you've been at this for about 10 years. If I can ask you an impossible question, probably. Um, what is there one thing that you've learned that's really surprised you in the past decade? What leaps out for you? Gosh, that's a really difficult question, Drew. I think there's so many things that I've learned um, over the over the years. I think um, one of the really interesting studies that we've undertaken Um, relatively recently has been looking at how people um, approach and exceed their tipping point so we kind of define tipping point consumption as this sort of point of no return when you you're kind of over the edge and potentially starting to feel out of control and unwell Um, and a couple of years back together with a colleague um, Mark Burgess at Brooks and Richard Cook at Liverpool we undertook a qualitative study we asked people to describe how it felt to um, uh, well, if we ask them to imagine they were kind of approaching their tipping uh-huh. point and talk about how it felt. So, what was the experience like? And then we asked them to imagine that they'd exceeded this particular point for them, uh-huh. this point of no return, and, and talk about how this was feeling for them. Um, in this particular study, we had about, I think, something like 150 people or something like that. And um, it was kind of written questions. So we had to analyse the data qualitatively. Um, the interesting thing about this particular study is that there seemed to be these two distinct groups of people, which is something we weren't expecting or weren't expecting in the way that we found anyway. So uh, about not not quite half maybe maybe a third of the participants described their approach to the tipping point as really positive Uh kind of bars a sort of um a sense of relaxation a sense of uh, heightened awareness a sense of feeling really great and excited and happy and pleasurable but there was another sort of around the third of participants who who really who identified this, this pattern of drinking, but also found that approach to that tipping point as incredibly negative. Mm. So they described it as worrying about feeling out of control and worrying about this sort of uh, bodily sensations of perhaps of nausea and things like that. The thing that was interesting is we also asked people in the study to um complete measures of the alcohol use disorders identification test. So that's mm-hmm. a measure of alcohol consumption and risk of dependence and harm. And those two different groups of people were not different on the on the audit score. Yeah. They were kind of drinking around the same amount, but experiencing it in, in wildly different ways. Yeah. Yet still engaging in that in mm-hmm. that consumption. So we're not talking about a couple of drinks here. We're talking about heading towards this point of no return. Yeah. Um, the groups were similar when we asked them to describe how they um, experienced exceeding this tipping point. And you won't be surprised for me to tell you that that was experienced as very negative. Yeah. In fact, as I, I recall, your paper was called My Own Personal Hell or something <laughs> like that. It was. That's the paper, yeah. And that's yeah. a direct quote from one of the participants. Um, he's, he, he was kind of describing this idea of being 
uh, waking up the next day and being in this personal hell. Uh-huh. And I think it really encapsulates something about that sort of anxiety that you can get from yeah. being hungover and the worry and that sort of sense of suddenly the fun is gone and you're left on your own the next uh-huh. day with that hell. Yeah. So his his personal yeah. hell. So I thought that was that was a really interesting study and and maybe um maybe surprising in the fact that that, that those two distinct groups were, were drinking at the same level but experiencing it in different ways. Yeah, I mean I would definitely I would definitely class myself in the second camp. I um you know as somebody who actually doesn't has never enjoyed the experience of being drunk. Um I I think I'm a bit of a control freak but I also I hate vomiting. You know, I hate feeling out of control. You know, so a curiosity for myself about why I ended up doing that as quite as often as I did. Um but you know, I I'm definitely in that second and I think that's kind of reflective. I hear that story in the club soda community, you know, people's very different experiences, even reflecting back as they've changed their drinking on their experience of having been drunk and what it what it felt like. And so I, I come at this, um, Emma, because I'm interested in what, and I'm going to put, people on the podcast won't be able to see this, but I'm going to put big visual air quotes around the word normal. I'm interested in what normal drinking looks like. And that's kind of prompted for two reasons. One is because I think particularly when people get to a point of saying that they just need to stop, that they realise that their drinking at some point has become abnormal or atypical in some kind of way, but has become really problematic for them. But equally, because in Club Soda, we're open to supporting people to moderate and to drink mindfully. Um, it's a question that people ask me is what does normal drinking look like? Where should I be aiming at? If I'm going to be somebody who includes alcohol in my life in an unproblematic way, what does that actually look like? And it, it's it's an area of curiosity for me because it to me, it looks like it's really under-researched. You know, we've got guidelines which are about unit consumption which you know unless you're very good at sums it can be a bit tricky but we you know we don't actually talk very much about what air quotes normal drinking might feel like from the inside and I wonder what you can tell us from your research from your observations about that that's a really difficult question, Drew. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> well, thanks for attempting to answer it. <laughs> I'm going to attempt to answer it, um, but I'm probably going to draw on different things to do that. Um, and I think you're right. I don't think there is as much research on the, what, the, what the idea of normal drinking is. And I think that's probably because... Um, it's very difficult to get research funding around that kind of idea because funders and um, people are very interested in looking at helping people who want to reduce their drinking. So probably are drinking excessively to begin with or having um, difficulties trying to stop. So, you know, quite rightly, there's been a focus on kind of treatment services or the development of tools that people can use to, to monitor their drinking. So this idea of what it means to just drink and be okay with it has not received as much evidence. Um, but we do, for example, in terms of um, global drug survey um, research for, um, that I'm involved in, we do look at kind of drinking experiences year on year. So we look at things like um, the paper that you mentioned that you wrote a blog about, which looks at exploring this idea of um, reaching different um, stages of consumption, mm. also around the tipping point. It's been a theme for the last yeah. few years. Um, and if I just explain that a little bit, um, we asked um, a large number of people, I think it's about 60,000 people, um, to tell us um, how many drinks it would take them to, feel, first of all, feel the effects of alcohol, 
So whatever that means to them. Secondly, to kind of drink as as much as they would like to, to kind of be as you know, and I be at an ideal level of intoxication. So, you know, happily drunk, we might call that. And then thirdly, we also asked them how many drinks would it take you to reach this tipping point? So, so this is a quantitative study, a big survey of people. So not having that kind of fine-grained detail with the study that I told you about before. Um, but people that were, were then indicating a number of different drinks and they were selecting beers, wine, spirits, etc. For each of those particular kind of we call them stages of intoxication. And then we ask people, how frequently do you reach those stages of intoxication? So I guess that gives an idea potentially of at least a large number of people and and kind of how often they're actually engaging in that kind of different different kind of what we call stages of intoxication. So around 20% of the sample were kind of reaching their tipping point um, at least monthly. So they said they did it once a week or at least once a month. Um, So that's a point of no return that they don't enjoy. So kind of 20% are doing that. But in terms of thinking about this ideal level, I don't know if that's uh, the same as what you're getting at in terms Mm -hmm. of two thirds of the people in the sample were saying that they kind of got this happy drunk um, at least monthly. Mm -hmm. So that was for them was um, this kind of of goal state, if you like, something that they were aiming for. Now, okay, you might think, well, okay, that sounds like you know it's pleasurable, it's enjoyable, it's not that twenty percent of people that are kind of going over the top. And um, but what the the kind of important thing to note there is is the amount that people were drinking to reach that happy drunk stage, that yeah. state of intoxication, and that's quite a lot of grams of alcohol. And, yeah. And so people were kind of thinking, you know, that I want the, as drunk as I want to be. And reporting these different um, numbers of drinks, uh, and actually, you know, it varied from country to country. But we're talking for, uh, and it varied between people identifying as male and female in the sample. But we're talking on average something, you know, for example, in the in the United Kingdom, we've got people reporting um, for the males in the sample over 100 grams of alcohol per session to reach that stage. And the females um, nearly a hundred grams, which yeah. is um, a lot of alcohol. Yeah, could you could you translate that? It, yeah, of course. It, it, as bottles of wine, what does that mean? hundred grams of alcohol. Well, I mean, it, thinking about it in terms of units, um, so a unit of alcohol. So that's um, what's that? So that's eight grams or ten milliliters of alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so in the United Kingdom, our um, unit guidelines for low risk drinking per week are, are 14 units, so that's yeah. 12 grams of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of bottles of wine, that's about a bottle and a half of wine. Yeah. Um, so these people are saying around, uh, you know, if you say on average around kind of um, 100 grams of alcohol, you're looking at like, yeah, almost a bottle and a half roughly. Yeah, I mean yeah. That, that that's the thing which really leapt out at me in in your research was I mean I think there's a, there's another really interesting thing it was it hidden away in one of the tables at the end about um, what people's audit scores were so their likeliness of um, of being having problems with alcohol and the fact that the amount of alcohol that they needed to consume to get to a happy mm. place was increased you know and that you know that's a lot about what we know about how tolerance for alcohol works but you know overall it struck 
me that there is such a gap between how much people want to drink to feel the effects of alcohol compared to the low-risk drinking guidelines. There seems like a, a massive gap between those two. And I wonder how you how you account for that, really. Well, going back to... Um... To what it was, what to try and answer your question, original question around normal drinking, mm-hmm. I think that um, that's kind of where where the issue is. So if we're ta- we're talking about normal drinking, and okay, this is one study, um, it's a big study, but the, but it's an opportunistic sample. It's um, you know the global drug survey tends to recruit kind of younger people. They're experienced with um, illicit substances as well. But um, you're thinking people there are kind of going out for this kind of you know ideal goal state drinking and it's exceeding the with this idea of guidelines mm-hmm. and you have to think okay what so what are the guidelines for so who are the guidelines for mm-hmm. so in research we could tend to use them to to kind of say oh this many people drink above them or this many people drink below them but when we talk to people in their everyday lives about guidelines they disregard them they don't find them relevant mm-hmm. they're not one thing you know obviously you've already mentioned and it's just very difficult to do the calculations I mean I had to sit and kind of look that up and think about it just to answer the question and I've been looking at this for more than 10 years it's a really tricky topic yeah people tend to look at guidelines and things like that and think they're for other people Mm-hmm. So they're not for me, they're for other people. Maybe they're for so-called problem drinkers or they're for older people or they're for younger people or whatever. It's just never me. It's never for yeah. me. Um, and so I don't think that there is any sort of connection between people's lived experiences of drinking and this idea of, of guidelines and units. I think what people are doing is going out and uh, over time building up certain tolerances and certain expectations about different situations in which mm-hmm. they find themselves. So then, but there are different kind of practices and meanings associated with going for a drink to the pub, for example, than there might be from having a drink um, with a meal with a family member or something like that. But over time, we get kind of um, used to those situations and we're used to what's expected of us in those situations in terms of drinking and we match our consumption to mm-hmm. surroundings. And that's potentially the case until you get to a point when you start to think, actually, I'd like to reduce my drinking or not drink so much. It's just easy to go along with the kind of normative behaviour for that situation. Again, yeah. it doesn't answer the question of what normal drinking is, but we have to think about the social context and the people around us when we're thinking about alcohol because it's such a socially driven behaviour and we're very, very influenced by other people, even if we're kind of not conscious of it in yeah. this context. So it's all about being around people or about the situation. It's nothing, people don't sit there and say, Oh, we're going to have two units. A beautiful quote from a participant in an interview study we did a few years ago. Um, and I wanted to use it as a title of the paper, but the reviewer said it was too long. But the guy said something like, not many stories start with, hey, I had 18 units last night, everyone. <laughs> and then the story <laughs> said, it's not. It's like, I went out and had loads of drink and then this happened, this happened, this happened. So it's yeah. just this big, big um, disconnect between what people actually understand by how much they want to drink for each situation and what what these guidelines actually say yeah i think that i think that's right i think i mean my experience of talking to people in club soda um people doing courses it's always really important to remember that of what the guidelines are there for they're about managing the health impacts of alcohol you know and you know as the guidelines rightly say no amount of alcohol is safe to drink so the lower risk guidelines are all about reducing the risk of something which is toxic to your body and has all sorts of long-term and short-term impacts of course that's right 
but actually we don't we none of us drink with health in mind you know we we drink as you say you know our drinking behavior is driven by the people that we're with and the environments we're in and the different states that we want to feel being relaxed and happy and actually you know the the longer term impact is so far from our minds at the point we're actually drinking that the guidelines actually aren't that helpful in helping us make those decisions about am I going to have a glass of wine with dinner exactly and also it's really worth mentioning that their guidelines are population level so of course um you know, we can look at those and think, well, okay, I'm I'm a bit taller or I eat more healthily or this, that and the other. So therefore, I think my risk is lower or higher yeah. than other people. So some a recent study I'm writing up now is asking people to um, talk about what it means to drink responsibly. So I'm interested mm-hmm. in um, research on alcohol product labelling, so potentials for having kind of health information on labels. And people in the study were comparing sort of drink responsibly messages with health messages. And people have all sorts of different definitions of what they think it means to drink responsibly. Um, you know, it's a, it's a message we see all the time, don't we, on advertising and mm-hmm. labels, and that's why we ask them. And some people were saying, well, yeah, responsibly just means I don't get out of control. Responsibly just means um, I can do my job in the morning and not feel crap. Uh, and some people say, well, one woman said, oh, it's just stop before you're about to hit the floor. You know, there's such a different <laughs> variation for people. That, that's quite a range. <laughs> <laughs> what it means to be responsible. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Brilliant, a brilliant group of people that um, offering up those, those definitions. And that's where people are, I think, are guiding their behavior it's about what happens to me in the immediate uh-huh. future it's not about 10 years time I might have a slightly higher risk of xyz health outcome actually when I was researching teenagers I thought at the time oh well yeah health stuff's not going to be as relevant because it is hard in the future if you're a teenager but we're talking to women who are aged 40 to 65 in a recent study and for them it's still too far in the future as well yeah. so when is it a time to start thinking about health yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the questions that comes up um, uh, fairly frequently in the club soda community is around moderation. And as I said before, you know, it, as a as a group, as a as a movement, um, we are um, open to supporting people, however they decide to change their drinking. Whether you're somebody who wants to cut down, or you're taking breaks, or you're stopping for now or forever, um, there's a place for you in club soda. And we know actually, in reality, that change is complicated. It takes time. People try lots of different tactics. You know, and people do eventually find out what works for them. But one of the questions that people often ask right at the very beginning um, of their journey of change, particularly if you've been wrestling for with, with drinking for a while, is whether moderation is actually possible. You know, and, and there are strong opinions on the subject. People say, you know, once you've discovered you've got a problem with drinking, you have to stop. There's no other, no options available. And I wondered what your thoughts are on that and if there's any evidence that we can point to which helps us kind of understand moderation as a tactic for change and and yeah just your just your views on that subject yeah I think going back to this idea of drink responsibly I think moderation is a similarly ambiguous term Mm -hmm. so I think it will depend on what different people mean by moderation and I suspect um I'm thinking about my own experiences as well as experiences of participants that I've had in my studies is that it might be about those things like being able to function the next day or or being being able to refuse another drink when offered one or, mm-hmm. or just being having the sense of control um because as you mentioned that's really important to a lot of people 
So for some people, that moderation might mean they don't drink every day. But for some people, moderation might mean they drink once a month. There's going to be a really wide variety. So I think um, it might be the case that people have to come to an understanding themselves, first of all, of what it is, what it's going to mean to them to be moderate. And that might be involved being quite honest um, and saying, you know, okay, actually, it's not about, maybe it's not for me about sticking to guidelines, but maybe it is that I just, I just drink once a week or I don't drink with certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one thing you asked me in your uh, correspondence is whether moderate drinking is possible. And I was thinking about this and asking people and and getting wildly different responses about what it means. If some friends were saying, oh, it's having two drinks when I go out, that's moderate for me. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it was about being able to stop. Yeah, um, completely, regardless of how many drinks they'd had or, or, you know, being able to kind of inhibit that drive to drink again. Um, I think, yeah, as 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 in this idea of responsibly, um, you know, is, is it about thinking, well, OK, the guidelines is a, is a broad population approach. But actually, if you think about it, that that's kind of, say, six pints or six glasses of wine maybe that's a that's a good start for some mm-hmm. people um but it might be about feeling that your mental or physical health is okay yeah so it's really tricky it is tricky it is tricky i mean i i know for myself so i i drink very occasionally um i think i've had three or four drinks so far this year that's how occasional my drinking is um and my decision making process when i'm deciding to have a drink is is this drink going to add value to the situation that i'm in does it does it make it qualitatively better for me um and recognizing as well you know because i drink really infrequently i have zero tolerance for alcohol i'm a lightweight and proud i'm a super cheap date um you know so i'm weighing up actually the risk of a glass of red wine against the very real possibility i'm going to have a headache in the morning you know that's where my tolerance for alcohol is right now um but yeah so that's my so so there's a balanced decision for me which is about you know recognizing this is going to have some negative impacts but these are the positive benefits that it has and then kind of making that decision consciously um seems to me to be the best way of approaching that but yeah you're right what you define as moderate is going to be and we you know in the club soda community people do push us to say what does moderate drinking mean and we always say you have to define that for yourself um and you know if if you were previously uh, two bottles of wine a night drinker and you've cut down to a bottle of wine you know that might be moderate for you Health professionals are going to be utterly alarmed at the amount of alcohol that you're consuming. But, you know, if you're taking steps in the right direction and that's moderate for you right now, that's objectively a good thing. And I think, yeah, we need to have conversations which are honest about how much people actually drink and not pie in the sky about the idea that people are going to magically find themselves drinking six pints or six glasses of wine a week. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the trouble that we've got. So the study that we mentioned about looking at people's feeling the effects and different amount of grams that they drank at different levels of intoxication, you know, that's the sort of um, study findings that should be informing health messaging and, and, uh, and maybe alternatives to guidelines. Because if they're wildly different from people's lived experience, then they're going to be disregarded and ignored in the way that they are now. But it is controversial to accept that people drink at those levels, even though we know lots of people do. Yeah. Uh, but accepting that is the first 
steps towards people saying, okay, so actually, no, this is a message for me and and I can find help to reduce drinking if I want to. Yeah, absolutely. That's really difficult. I mean, I think I like to do like um, dry January, sober October, things like that, because I think it really helps to sort of reset your relationship with Mm -hmm. alcohol. So um, if people are trying to think, well, I'm worried about moderate drinking and if that's something for the rest of my life, then a short period of of um abstinence and there's all wonderful communities such as yourself but there's communities that go go along with those things and people supporting you can really help but mm-hmm. I think that it's really tricky you know I'm I'm an alcohol researcher and sometimes I think oh, I wonder you know my does my behaviors always match the things that I know about and it doesn't it doesn't at all I enjoy drinking with friends and and having a nice glass of wine with a meal you know I think yeah. there's a lot of uh of uh, fluctuation I would say in in behavior across time and and across the sort of um, stages of your life as well yeah yeah and I think I I, thank you for saying that because I think you know one of the other things that people get caught up I have this conversation actually just with somebody in the past couple of days um, somebody who is expressly um uh, moderating their drinking that's their that's their very clear intention so they they you know they have a a view of life that it is going to include alcohol sometimes there's somebody who's drank more way more than they wanted to do before and they've now got some measure of control and they're thinking about drinking and they're actively choosing situations but then they went into that situation they drank exactly what they intended to they stuck to their plan and they came out of the other side of it feeling guilty and I think there's so much about this that gets loaded with moral judgment about what's right and wrong um, and isn't actually accepting of some behaviour is just okay and it's typical. And, you know, in that situation, you know, where you've been somebody who's had a problematic relationship and you're now drinking in a way which you're happy with and which you're doing that safely and uh, there are good outcomes, you've got no reason to feel guilty for drinking. Um, And yeah, actually it just genuinely doesn't help you. No, and that's something that I wanted to say as well for anyone who is trying to moderate their drinking is that it is really challenging and it's tough and not to feel guilty and not to worry if you think you've slipped up according to the standard you've set yourself because you're living in an environment where alcohol is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to inhibit a behaviour that is, that's being encouraged from all different angles. The minute you turn on the TV, you know, different movies, soap operas, whatever, people are drinking, there's alcohol advertising absolutely everywhere, bus stops shops you go to the supermarket you walk in there's like crates of beer you're trying to inhibit a behavior that everything is telling you to do absolutely everything so you should definitely not you know feel guilty or beat yourself up about it you know you should just be really kind of encouraging yourself and just Mm -hmm. doing the best you can for what you want to achieve it's yeah a a really really difficult thing to do yeah absolutely um, telling you to drink Absolutely. Um, I wonder, just as a final thing, whether from your research there are any tips that you've picked up uh, for, about how people practically are approaching this drinking, this business of, of incorporating alcohol in their lives in ways which help them live well. And that's, you know, that's ultimately what we're about in Club Soda. But, but any kind of practical advice, tips, thoughts about how people who people are thinking about changing their drinking, thinking about moderation, things that people can do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I would say is organisations like yourselves are the right place to start. Um, you know, there's somebody out there in, in Club Soda or another organisation that, that's wanting to do the same thing as you, so you're not alone. 
Um, yeah, we've done some recent studies I mentioned about looking at um, women aged 45 to 64. We're, we're asking them how, how we can communicate the link between alcohol and breast cancer risk. But we're also asking them things like, OK, how do you moderate your drinking? How do you manage your drinking? What do you think is sensible advice that we can give to other women? And so they've mentioned lots of really interesting things. Um, so the first one, um, which is really challenged with club soda, is about kind of low and no alcohol products. So maybe starting with a low and no alcohol product, even if you're going to carry on and have a, an alcoholic product. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we're doing a special section in the Global Drug Survey this coming year on low and no alcohol. So hopefully we'll have some interest to you. Um, but yeah, the women we talked to said that was a really good tip. So there's lots of different things you can try there or just swapping them around and you kind of still feel like you're kind of having the drink. Um, but we also, people talked about self-monitoring their drinking and that's something that comes out in the research as well as a really really strong tool so first of all if you're thinking i'm not sure what i'm drinking you know it's just, mm -hmm. just write it down you don't really need a fancy app or a tool you can just use a bit of paper um, but it kind of helps you to bring into awareness what it is you're actually consuming and it's easy to easy enough to do as long as you do it straight away and um, there are obviously lots of lots of apps you can use for that um, but yeah that's a really good idea so then you just know and you can do what you like with that information, but it gives you information of, what, of where your where your behaviour is. And I think the final thing that's come out of the recent research we've done, and also is really important to remember, is that we use alcohol a lot in social situations, and we're just coming through the most challenging time that we've ever lived through in terms of social isolation so it's very tempting to just be like right I've got six pubs booked this week to catch up <laughs> with all of these different people because it's essential that we do reconnect but they don't those things don't always have to involve drinking it might sound like an obvious comment but what you need to do is get your your colleagues your friends or whoever it is you're connecting with on board with that idea so seeking out alternative activities that can enhance the bonding that you, that you want to do and that connection that we've so missed, but they don't have to involve alcohol. So in our study, women were suggesting, um, you know, some people like going running, but not everyone likes running or picnics in the park or mm -hmm. taking up a new hobby together to say, we've come out of lockdown, we're going to learn this together. And those sorts of things that don't automatically have to include alcohol. Otherwise, we just yeah. fall back into the same patterns of behaviour that we locked away when we when we, uh, when we entered the, the pandemic situation. So thinking about that connection and connecting with people who are important to you, who understand your goals and will, who support your goals as well mm -hmm. um, is really important. And that, that's really important in terms of, you know, if you live with somebody, partners or family members, because their drinking can influence your drinking, of course, without you meaning to. Um, so, yeah, we, we think... Yeah, this idea of connecting, connecting with that alcohol is a really good way to, to start moderating as well. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, one of the things that people sometimes have concerns about is how are people going to react if I tell them that I'm not drinking? Um, but honestly, in my experience being very straightforward about that, we have this story in our culture now which says, my drinking got out of control during lockdown, so I'm cutting back right now. You know, and that's a that's a common story that many, many people are telling. So if you find yourself in a social environment not wanting to drink, you know, actually just being straightforward. I drank too much last year, so I'm really cutting back right now. And people understand that and they respect that. And genuinely, when it comes to this business of connection, you know, I a couple of weeks hands back I got to see friends who I hadn't seen for a couple of years um, we went out for brunch went for a walk in the park it was amazing 
Um, and it would normally have been really boozy and we didn't drink at all. And it was good because we wanted to see each other more than we wanted to get drunk. And we achieved that. So, yeah, think about, you know, it's very easy, I think, to kind of imagine that socialise and drink are synonymous verbs. And of course, they're not. They're very, very different things. And all of the things during lockdown that we did to connect, you know, the Zoom meetings, the walks in the park, the, you know, picnics, all of that stuff, all of those options are still available to us. We don't have to jettison those activities just because pubs have reopened. Absolutely. I quite agree. Brilliant. Um, Emma, thank you so much for joining us. If people are interested in your work um, and want to find out more about you, how can people connect with you? Um, you can connect with me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is um, I underscore Anne underscore Emma, which I realise is a quite a strange one. Um, or you can um, find me on my Oxford Brooks University webpage. It's just a Google and see what research we're up to. Um, and I'm always happy to be contacted and to share any of the research that we've done. It's been published or hear people's ideas for future studies. Brilliant. Emma, thanks ever so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. is brought to you by Club Soda. You can find out more about what we do on joinclubsoda.com and on our social handles at joinclubsoda.com.